Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Hey, I'm going to keep you on your feet. I'm going to keep you on your feet for another minute. Are you okay with that? I'm not ready to sit down. All right. Not ready to do that. Man, um, this, uh, one of the powers of gathered church, of people of God coming together, is to remind ourselves of the truth that God doesn't lose battles, that he never fails us, that, that in the end he's victorious. Um, and even if your week was like my week, um, where things just went wonky, if I can use the word, we come here and we remind ourselves that we're people of faith, that in a world that's desperate and discouraged and anxious and in minds and bodies that sometimes feel those same uh, tumultuous volatilities, like we remind ourselves that there's one who is for us, one who is with us, that our God is victorious. We worship him this morning. I wanna do something with you today that's a little different. I want you to stay standing in part because I want to read scripture with you and over you. Um, and as the screen comes down so you can kind of follow along with that, um, I'm going to read that and then I want to pray. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're in a series called Living with the End in Mind. You're going to hear some of that alluded to here in Matthew 24. Would you go with me into the Word of God and then in prayer together? Read with me. Matthew chapter 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go back to take what is in his house. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not take place in winter or on Sabbath. For there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, it never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray even the elect if it were possible. Look, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. God in heaven, we pray this morning that you would reveal to us truths in your word. Most importantly, that the greatest truth that we see in your word. That you are victorious, that you're the overcoming one. God, that that when things looked their worst, and you were going into a grave, God, you were defeating death itself. The grave couldn't hold you. This world can't contain you. And all the forces that come against you, Lord, can't stand in the presence of the power of the risen Savior whose name is Jesus. We stand with you, and we acknowledge who you are. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Thank you for being 
with us this morning. Um, let me just add my amen to everything that has been already said. I want to uh, just remind you what Edwin said. We're looking for folks who are ready to say, I'm in. I'm ready to serve. I can hold a door, or I can uh, take care of children, or I can uh, help people get their seats, or run cables, or whatever it might be. Whatever you are able to do, I can promise you we got a place where you can serve and get plugged in, as well as in those uh, groups that we're launching in the, in the month of September. So make sure to go to our website. Uh, the events page has that information. Um, I want to do something that I've waited to reveal until today, um, in part because I didn't want the, the crazy end times folks to get too excited too early, okay? So <laughs> I'm going to show you a chart. I did not create this chart, so you can take it up with somebody else. Um, but this will, I think, help to orient us a little bit to uh, what the timeline looks like as we talk about the end things or end times. And so obviously the very beginning we see the creation and fall. We got thousands of years of human history in between that tree and that cross. Jesus' ministry uh, somewhere around 6 BC from Bethlehem all the way to Jerusalem where he's on the cross. Um, and then there's, a, there's that kind of circle in the middle. You see that between the cross and the, and the tribulation. That's kind of where we are right now. Okay, this, this couple thousand years history could be more. Uh, if you watch The Office, you remember Jim peppering with Dwight. Could be five days. Could be 10 days. Could be 50 days, right? Like, we don't know when that time is coming, but tribulation, followed by the return of Jesus. We're going to get there in, um, I believe, two weeks. The thousand-year reign, the final judgment, the new heaven, the new earth. So for those of you that think linearly or chronologically, just to kind of get some bearings, we're dealing today with that third uh, marker there, tribulation. And I'm going to be very honest with you. There are two of these messages in this six or seven week series that I was least looking forward to preaching, and this is one of them. Because I don't like tribulation. Anybody else relate with that? Did you know in the past couple weeks, I've had some tribulation. I, I, I was changing the garbage disposal underneath my sink, um, which is a minor miracle in and of itself. But what happened we have an undermount kitchen sink. You know where this is going. The sink fell out of the counter. Right? Uh, a couple days before that, I was, I was leaving an appointment, uh, leaving my office, I, I mean leaving Starbucks, and I backed into a vehicle. It was a BMW. Tri tribulation is part of life. And so I, what, what I want to say is, while today we're, we're kind of fast-forwarding to, to a period in human history that, that's called tribulation, the reality is we're not waiting till then to experience tribulation. We experience it every day of our lives living in a world that's not yet restored to the, the things that God has in mind for it. So tribulation, if that's part of your life, I want you to know that we're here for you. Our, our worship is in part to, to help us point ourselves to Jesus to be reminded of his overcoming power. We also have, after the service, we have team leaders who are here to receive you in prayer. We don't want anyone to leave carrying the same heavy burden that you walked in with. I, I don't mean by that we're going to change your circumstances. But Jesus said when we take his yoke on us, it's light and easy. And we just want to help you carry that a little lighter and a little easier this morning. So you can come for prayer at the conclusion of, of the service today. Um, tribulation, and again, what we're going to talk about today, and when we use the word tribulation, primarily we're talking about a future time in human history that is accompanied by, by great distress in the world. 
However, I want you to know that most references in the New Testament to tribulation do not refer to that period. They refer to the present sufferings that we experience here and now. And as a picture of that, Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, John says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus and he goes on from there. So John is going to reveal to us or actually Jesus is going to reveal to John because this is a revelation of Jesus what's coming on the earth but John says here in the first century on the earth I'm a partner in the tribulation here and now that we experience. It is both then and it is now. I want us to think about it this way. As you think about the tribulation that is a focused period of history at the end of time, think of it less like a switch that gets flipped on from from good to bad. Think of it more like a gradual increase followed by a sharp acceleration of volatility that immediately precedes the return of Christ. Okay? In other words, we think, and this is kind of a Western thing, we're like, we're in this period of human history, And then there's this radical pivot to this period of human history. And there's another radical, and that's not really how it works. What we're seeing, remember Jesus said, is the beginning of birth pains. We're moving into a new period in human history. I believe, whether it's in our generation or in the next few, that's going to be marked by an increase of something that's already been going on. Tribulation. So this week, as I kind of alluded to, we're going to be in the book of Revelation some, mostly in in the passage I read, Matthew chapter 24. And what I want to do is I want to ask three questions of the text that we read a moment ago. Okay, so we're going to kind of examine this critically. Now, as an aside, but an important aside, if all that you get of the Bible is 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, you're missing a whole lot. Okay? And even as I focus on answering these three questions that are embedded in the text, there can be a learning for us, and it is a very simple and straightforward one. When you're reading the Bible, I encourage you to ask questions of the Bible. We can sometimes get into this frame of mind where it's like, okay, I, you know, I want to you know, read the Bible in a year. I want to read X amount of chapters a day. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but if you would sometimes just pause with 5, 10, 15 verses and critically ask questions of it and seek the answers, this will transform not only your reading of the word, but your spiritual life. So we're going to do that collectively, but this is something you can do at home. You know the old thing, don't try this at home? I want to tell you, try this at home. Three questions out of Matthew chapter 24. Number one, you you heard it in there, but what is the abomination of desolation? Okay, I've got, if you were to look through my Bible, you would see several places where next to a a word or, or, or a phrase, I've just got a question mark. That means I'm going, that, that's not intuitive. Like when Jesus says love others and, and treat them the way you want to be treated, that's intuitive. I understand that. When Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation, I, I don't intuitively know what that means. Maybe I'm not as smart as you. So I want to ask the question, what does that mean? And notice that Jesus gives us a, a, a huge clue. He says, referenced by the prophet Daniel or spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So we're going to go there in a second. Remember, this was not originally Uh, something that the original audience was reading, like one of the letters of Paul, this was something they originally hearing. The disciples are hearing this from Jesus. And I can tell you that what those disciples immediately are thinking when Jesus mentions this abomination of desolation is not something that's coming in the future, it's something that happened in the recent history of the people of Israel. Because what had happened in the recent history of Israel was that there was a Roman emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes. 
and he was uh, oppressing the people of God like never before. And there was a revolt in that second century by the Maccabean people, Judas Maccabee and his family, and ultimately everybody else that joined the revolt. And, and this, this, there's um, if uh, Hanukkah, you know, know the, the history of the, the holiday Hanukkah, is embedded in this period of time where they were suffering tremendously under the Romans. And at the height of this, Antiochus Epiphanes, the emperor of Rome, walks into the temple in Jerusalem and sacrifices a pig on the altar and lets the blood of the pig spill over the altar. It's probably important for you to know this. There is nothing in the the Jewish mindset that is more uh, unholy, more unclean than a pig. And, And so what this emperor was doing is basically sticking it to the people to say, I can walk into your most sacred place do the most abominable thing you could even imagine, and there's nothing you can do about it. An abomination of desolation. So the original hearers are going, oh, oh, you're talking about, but Jesus says, no, 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 I'm talking about the end. So here's where our minds should go. What Jesus is saying is at the end of time, in this period that we understand as tribulation, there will come a ruler like Antiochus Epiphanes with that kind of arrogance that kind of wickedness. And he will do things and, 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 and uh, project in ways that are very much like this ruler that you know, Antiochus Epiphanes, was one of the worst in human history. So he's saying a ruler like that will come back at the end of time. It seems most likely that who Jesus is referring to here is what we know as the Antichrist. If you've heard that, uh, that terminology, the Antichrist, the person who's coming at the end of time, who's basically the opposite of everything that Jesus is. Jesus is kind, this man is unkind. Jesus is humble, this man is filled with boast and boasting and blasphemies. Like he's the opposite of Jesus, the Antichrist. Um, and so Daniel chapter 11, let, let's look at this together. Because remember Jesus says the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about. Daniel eleven thirty one. listen to what it says. Or actually, I think I'm doing 12, 11 first. Go there first. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. It's very specific. Abomination of desolation. And then Daniel eleven thirty one, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. This is another example of something I shared with you a couple weeks ago where prophecy has both an immediate historic fulfillment and an eventual future fulfillment. For Daniel, I believe what he's predicting and prophesying is fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes. But Jesus is going to come behind him about 160 years later and say, it's going to happen again. That there's both an immediate fulfillment that you already know has happened. There's also a future fulfillment that is coming. Uh, really, really interesting, and we're not going to spend too much time here. I'm not a, you know, dates and numbers and line it all up guy, but, but for what it's worth, Revelation chapter 13 references a beast uh, who comes out of the sea who's going to rule for 42 months. If you do the, the, the days number, that's 1,260 days. Daniel chapters 11 and 12 say 1,290 days, so about a month difference, which could mean that there's some things going on and this, this ruler, this antichrist, basically about a month after some things are fulfilled, his power is taken from him. Uh, even more, for, uh, more interesting bonus material, uh, two other events are taking place at the same time as this antichrist is, is flexing his muscles over the earth. 
there's a woman in Revelation 12 who's pregnant with a male child and she's whisked away to the wilderness for 1,260 days. And there are two witnesses who are on the earth proclaiming Jesus and hated by all people and they witness before they are killed for 1,260 days. So th this, I, I don't believe, can be coincidental. The, these exact numbers, three and a half years, 42 months, this is all lining up to say this person in Daniel, this person Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, part of that fulfillment is this future antichrist who will wreak havoc on the earth for three and a half years. You might have also noticed that both of the Daniel passages reference the regular burnt offering. Now, I don't know what that means. There are some who believe that the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt and that the Antichrist will commit some abominable act like Antiochus Epiphanes had. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But what it does indicate to me is that these prophetic uh, predictions are going to be fulfilled somewhere in or around Jerusalem. Okay, so, so Jerusalem and, and the nation of Israel is playing a significant part in the end of history in God's redemptive plan. So, uh, and again, this lines up with Jesus, Matthew chapter 24. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see this individual emerge and gain power, he says this, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jerusalem is, is kind of built, it's embedded kind of in the middle of a mountain range called the Judean mountains. And I don't know, but according to Revelation, around this same time, there's a great earthquake in the city of Jerusalem. 7,000 people die. Could it be that, that, that Jesus is saying, hey, when the earthquake comes, get to a safe place. I had a friend, uh, actually a part of this church, um, who was in Haiti during the 2010 earthquake. She was there with the First Academy. Some of you would remember this, the senior trip down there. And when the earthquake happened, I, I had the chance to interview her for a class. She said, and they had us all run up to the top of a mountain. <laughs> Well, that's interesting, right? Because when things are going down, when buildings are falling, like get to a safe place. Jesus is saying at, those, at that time, flee to the mountains, okay? So the abomination of desolation, basic, basic understanding is this. This is going to be some significant act of defiant rebellion against God that is committed by the beast or the antichrist who's trying to usurp God's authority over the earth at the end of time. Okay, understand kind of what we can around that. Let's move to the second question. Jesus in verse 21 mentions the great tribulation. So what is this great tribulation? I want to begin by reminding you that the word tribulation only refers to future events four times in the New Testament. Okay, there are many references. Only four of them refer to the end. And three of them are in this one teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24, also in Mark 13 and Luke 21 which should tell us that when we think tribulation, that, that it doesn't automatically mean we're talking about end times. There is one other place where I think it is very obvious that it is referring to future events, and it's Revelation 7, verses 13 to 14. It says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white, in the blood of the Lamb. Now, based on where these verses exist in the lineup of Revelation, it, it makes sense that Jesus is not just saying it's those who have come out of the troubles of the world. He's saying it's those who have come out of chapters 6 and 7 and, and have remained faithful and have chosen to, 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 to stay with me. That's who you're seeing. And they're coming out of what he calls a great tribulation. 
If we were to look at the context of Revelation, and again, this, some of this is somewhat academic, but I think it's important because I think it's important we understand, right? This is the purpose of Jesus' teaching, this pur- purpose of the scripture, that we understand what's happening, but also that, and this will happen today, that we get to a place of what does that mean for me here and now? Okay, so, so stay with me through some of the academic parts of this. If we were to look at the, the structure of Revelation, basically, there are a series of four sevens that unfold. Again, this is a revelation of Jesus to John. John's not just getting this, you know, in some kind of, um, you know, uh, like cerebral spirit way. Like Jesus is actually sharing with John this revelation. And it's four sevens. The sevens are these. Seven letters, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven plagues. You can leave that screen up there for just a second while we go over these. Uh, one other thing, am I talking too fast? I feel like I'm trying to fit a lot in. Am I good? Okay. In the Bible, some of you would know that the number seven almost always refers to completion or fulfillment, which should at least leave the possibility that what Jesus is referring to is, is events that are going to take place that fulfill the redemptive plan of God and may not necessarily be exactly seven years or seven this, or seven that. That There's at least that possibility that Jesus is saying there will be a fulfillment of seals, the fulfillment of trumpets, the fulfillment even of days or years that transcends the specific number. Okay, if that was too much, just leave it alone. Four sevens. Let's walk through each of them. Revelation chapter two and three is letters to the seven churches. It might interest you to know that the word tribulation appears in two of those letters to churches. And it is not referring to the future tribulation. It's referring to tribulations that we experience here and now as believers living in a fallen world. So tribulations there in the letters to the seven churches. Then we move uh, to Revelation 6 through 8 and we see seven seals. These seven seals are a period of human history that is marked by things like Earthquakes, wars, famines, persecution. If you were here a couple of weeks ago and you heard me kind of unpacking the signs of the times, Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 and he says that there will be uh, earthquakes, wars, famines, persecution. It's almost a precise one-for-one comparison with Revelation chapter 6 through 8. And Jesus says in the middle of that teaching, he said, these are the beginnings of birth pains, okay? So these wars, these famines, that's when tribulation is starting to really ramp up, but it's only the beginning. Then we go to Revelation 8 through 11, and we see a series of seven trumpets. And these seven trumpets are accompanied by a sharp increase in the intensity of the sufferings that have already begun. So where there's always already been an increase in natural disasters and, and spiritual darkness, there's a next period, seven trumpets, where that ticks up drastically and it's accompanied by massive destruction of the earth, mass loss of human life, and signs even in the heavens. Things in the stars and the cosmos, like, like that's all taking place during these seven trumpets. Again, this lines up with Matthew 24. Jesus says, Then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And as much as I can understand, and I don't know for sure, but it seems like this is a kind of a second phase of tribulation that's already begun. 
So in other words, there's a period where it's getting bad. Jesus says those are the birth pains. Then there's a period where it gets really, really bad. Where like nobody living in the earth would go, man, I wonder if we're in the end times. It's like, no, no, no. There's like a third of the earth being killed. It's, it's gotten bad. Okay, it's, it's there. So that, that's what's coming during the seven trumpets in Revelation 8 through 11. And then it moves to seven plagues or seven bowls of wrath in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. And this marks a change or a difference from the tribulations that have already been happening. Because now what's happening is that God is literally pouring out his wrath on the world. And you go, well, who, who's, who's like getting the brunt of God's wrath? It's the Antichrist. The beast, the false prophet, and all of the people of the earth who by this time have blatantly and persistently aligned themselves with them against the God of heaven. And God says, okay, now it's time for wrath. And these seven plagues or seven bowls of wrath are poured out over the earth and over humanity. Uh, It's very clear now, by the way, in Revelation chapter 15, when we get to the seven plagues or the seven bowls of wrath, it marks a a, a close of something. Listen, listen to what Revelation 15:1 says. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So if we can, we might think of this as kind of the very last period of tribulation before the return of Christ, but it is of, of a different kind and a different degree, okay? Um, and it will have a different function and purpose. I'll unpack that in just a moment. We go to this third and final question of Matthew chapter 24, and it's not necessarily coming to us from the verses we read. It's coming later on in the chapter, and we're going to address it specifically in a couple of weeks. But I want to answer this question because I think this is one that everybody's wanting to ask, and we just need to kind of hit it head on. Here's the question. What, uh, uh, when rather, is the timetable of these events and when the church is called up or, or when the Christians are raptured. In other words, when is the rapture going to happen? And the answer is in 2000. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. So I can't tell you the day or the hour. What I can do is try to deduce from the passage kind of where in the sequence of events the, the church is called up, the church is raptured. Okay. Um, and so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, first of all, we know that there's going to be a rapture. That's the thick ice that we can stand on. We, we know from, from 2 Thessalonians, from Matthew 24, from all through Revelation, there's going to come a point in human history where the believers or the Christians are called up out of the world and, and spared by God of some of the worst things that are coming. Okay, so we know that. The traditional views of, around this are three. Number one, a pre-tribulation or pre-trib rapture a mid-trib rapture, and a post-trib rapture. Now that's super churchy kind of language, but what it means is one of three things seem most likely. Either Jesus is going to call the church up out of the world before kind of the Revelation chapter 6, 7, and 8 seals come, or somewhere in the middle of the seals and the trumpets and the plagues that Jesus is calling the earth out and protecting them. Or after kind of all of this, Jesus is calling. So pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. You with me on that? Okay. Um, and here's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is kind of that, that thick ice of church. You're going to be called out at some point. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Let me show you another one. Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Did you notice a word that emerged in both of those verses? Or, or rather, I should say, did you notice a musical instrument that was referenced in both those verses? Okay, so, so here's a massive, I believe, a massive clue that can help us grapple with the question of when in the sequence of events, again, not, not day, month, year, but when in the sequence of events is the church or believers called out of the earth? Paul says when the trumpet sounds, and in one of them he says when the last trumpet sounds. Okay, now let me address the elephant in the room. That's not what Left Behind told us. <laughs> Right? And some of you, some of you are like, I, dude, I just walked in for the first time and these people are crazy. I don't know what they're talking about. Some of you, some of you, however, are fiercely committed. And let me say two things about what's known as the pre-tribulation raptor, rapture, <laughs> raptor, pre-tribulation rapture. The first thing I want to say is those who hold that view may be right. I know and love and respect men and women who are like fiercely committed to that view and they can defend it and they've got reasons for that. So, so number one, I could be wrong. However, secondly, I think part of the reason that pre-tribulation rapture gained mainstream popularity is because it, it was built on faulty theology. And this faulty theology goes something like this. Well, the church will be called out before the tribulation begins because God wouldn't let his people suffer. To which I would say to you, to sit down with a pastor in Nigeria for 30 minutes. Talk to the underground church in China. And then come back to me and tell me, do you still believe that God won't allow his people to suffer? It, to me, and again, I haven't, I haven't deep-dived Ezekiel yet. And I'm, I'm kind of weak on Daniel. But if I read the Gospels where Jesus talks about the end, and when I read the 22 chapters of Revelation, to me it's very, very clear that we will experience some or all of what is known as the tribulation before Jesus calls us home. Friends, why else would we get it all and Jesus say, be ready, be alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep? Like, like left behind, it's just like walking around and like, boom, we're, we're gone, you know. But Jesus says, there's going to be some things coming on the earth and friends coming on us that we need to be ready for. Uh, let, let me further unpack this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. For those who still struggle and go, man, I heard a preacher say, if I believe in God, like, I'm going to get a BMW and Chris isn't going to back into it in the parking lot and everything's going to be great, like... <laughs> Here's a hard truth, and nobody in the room, I promise you, nobody in the room likes this truth less than me. God uses suffering. Man. When my bank account is on empty, when my marriage is struggling, when my kids are driving me batty, and I don't even have teenagers yet, God uses suffering. Suffering 
is redemptive. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Go ahead and get that up for me. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. Oh, I, I mean, I have that. Oh, I have it here. Follow with me. Paul says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul indicates exactly, he doesn't allude to it, it's very explicit, that there is a relationship between the sufferings I experience now and the glory I will experience later. And Paul says, given the trade-off, I want the sufferings because the glory is much better. And so the reality is temporal suffering is not at odds with God's purposes. In fact, it is completely congruent with them. And what I want you to know today is that the purpose of tribulation, both now and then, is I think twofold. One, to refine and strengthen those of us who are followers of Jesus. Part of the reason I think that Jesus leaves the church in these tribulation times, in these troubled times, is because it has massive refining power. He wants a pure and spotless bride. And when we go through suffering and we come out the other side and we're still standing and we still have faith in Jesus, it's like when we get under the, the weight of the bar and it's difficult and there's resistance, but by the time we're done, our muscles are bigger or so I'm told, and the, the resistance and the pain leads to something greater. So Jesus uses tribulation to refine his church. Here's what else he does. He uses suffering and tribulation to bring people to saving faith. And we run around going, hey, no, no, let me lift this burden off. Let me take care of this for you. And we should want to jump in and help and serve and love and, and do all that we can for humanity. But the truth is, Sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it's experiencing the pain of our own bad choices that leads us to repentance. God uses testing to turn us to Jesus. And I believe in the end times, during the tribulation, those things will both be happening. The church will be being refined and strengthened, and people, amazingly, will come to faith in Jesus. I think it's going to happen kind of like this. There will be people that go, Man, I never believed that crazy stuff my grandma talked about, but I watched the news yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's starting to make sense. Like, perhaps this was actually true. I need to get right with God, right? Um, and so much to unpack. I can't even go here. This will very much be true for the, the nation of Israel. Because nobody knows the old covenant. Nobody knows the prophecies, probably including us, better than religious Jewish people. And when the events of the end times begin to unfold, I believe there's going to be a massive turning. I believe it based on the word of God and a harvesting of Jewish people who see in Jesus not some divergent thing. Oh, now we've got to become Christians. No, no, no. This is the fulfillment of their uh, belief system and their faith. And they'll recognize him as the Messiah. And they're going to come to faith. So Jesus is using all of that. He's using tribulation. What I do want to say emphatically is that regardless of where, you know, between the, the first seal and the seventh trumpet or whatever, the church is raptured, I 100% believe that we are gone before the bulls of wrath come on the earth. And my reason is real simple and basic. No Christian, no person who has put their trust in Jesus will ever experience a milligram of the wrath of God. When Jesus hung on a cross and said, it is finished, 
He was saying that the wrath of God that was poured out on him is enough for everyone who believes and there is no purpose or redemptive nature in the wrath of God. By this time, it's just wrath. The church is not there. We are rescued and brought out of that. I I, I want you to hear so clearly. There are some in this room, I believe, and maybe some watching online, you've never put your trust in Jesus. You might even know him in your head like you know about. You might even go, yeah, I believe that stuff. The issue is you've never submitted your life to him. You want a savior, but not a Lord. And and what tribulation is doing, what testing is doing, is, is almost forcing us gently, compassionately, Forcing us to a place where we go, God, I may have grit my teeth, I may be white knuckling, but I, I want to be spared from the wrath. Like, I, I want to be saved. And we don't preach hellfire and brimstone, and I've never pounded this pulpit once in my life, but I do want you to hear clearly that by the time the end is coming, you want to be on the winning side. You want to have stood with Jesus. You, you want to be a servant in the kingdom of God, not a king of your own castle, because that castle is going to fall. And so church will be uh, rescued out of that. So Christians do experience suffering. We do not experience uh, wrath. Let me, let me make one final note as the team gets ready. Um, and this is where we're going to end because I absolutely love this. Uh, I've talked a little bit about the structure of Revelation. Let me point to what's happening at the kind of the front end of the book of Revelation. So chapters one through three are, are somewhat introductory. It's kind of us getting acquainted to what's happening. It's this revelation of Jesus to John and these letters to the churches. And then in chapter four and five, there's kind of a, a, a something else happening. I'll, I'll share in a moment. And then chapters six through 22 really deal with this end time stuff we're talking about. But you go, what's going on in chapters four and five? Can I peel back the curtain and show you briefly? In my Bible, Revelation chapter four has a heading This is not embedded in the original writing, but the heading of Revelation chapter 4 says the throne in heaven. And Jesus wants John to know in the first century, and Jesus wants us to know in the 21st century, before we get too deep into what's coming on the world, we need to see a picture of who is reigning over it. That Jesus is in control. That Jesus is in charge. That he's not caught off guard by these tumultuous and volatile things that are happening in the earth. In fact, he's at the very center of it, redeeming it, using it for his purposes. And so here's how we're going to end today. I want to invite you to stand again because we're going to read together. And by together, I mean we're going to read out loud, in unison, the words of Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. And then we're going to immediately sing an anthem of hope in the risen Savior Jesus. Would you read with me Revelation chapter 5? Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever, amen. Worship the risen savior with us. Team lead us. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. 
For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.